But uh, I just thought for a moment, if you'll allow me a moment of vanity, first things first, uh, this morning, I, wanna pro I want to premise uh, my remarks today, uh, and I, I want to praise my wonderful Lord for his blessings and his faithfulness to me. Um, today, by his grace, I begin my 46th year of preaching the life-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to, to, to God be the glory, to God be the glory, I can't explain it, I don't know, it's just a wonderful um, blessing that God has bestowed on me, no, no greater calling for sure, and uh, to think of lives who, that have changed because of the gospel message uh, just gives me an extra, an extra feeling of satisfaction and, and a thrill, so thank you for indulging me. We're getting a lot in recent weeks from uh, Pastor Todd's uh, series, Emotionally Healthy. How many of you are really enjoying that in ways that you didn't even maybe think about before? Yeah, I I'm finding that too. And after you hear a message and you start digesting it even more a day or two later, then you start thinking of things that really apply to you. And uh, this is the way it ought to be. It's not just hearing, but it's also applying, right? James said, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And so we hear it, and then we apply it. Uh, last week, we, we learned a lot again about ourselves and about anger. Um, that's not a fun subject, but we have to uh, kind of understand the enemy here and how we attack it. Well, today, and for my next couple of messages, God willing, uh, I want to expand on that topic just a bit. Uh, as it is a far-reaching, multifaceted, very recognizable commodity in our world today, this thing called anger. And it comes in many forms. It comes for many reasons. It comes to most all people. And yet the whole idea of dealing with it seems to be foreign to most people. And I hate to say it, especially even to Christians. And so I want to take that, and I'm not going to add... Uh, anything that uh, Pastor Todd hasn't said, but I want to add uh, some more dimensions to this because it is multifaceted. And so I'm going to do a, a hopefully just a short, uh, probably a two-part series, and then um, he'll keep moving on with the Emotionally Healthy series. So before we do that, could we just bow for a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, th this opportunity to gather together we, we never want to take this for granted. We never want to just go through the motions. But Lord, we want to be here because you want to us to hear something. You want us to interact in a certain way. You want to uh, shower your Holy Spirit upon us for learning and for development and for understanding of the Scripture. And Lord, we stand ready. We come as open vessels and we want uh, if it's our hearts that you want to speak to, if it's our minds you want to speak to, if it's our actions and reactions that you want to have uh, changed, then Lord, make that obvious to each of us individually and as a church, as a body of believers, Lord, uh, make this teaching clear so that we might go forward in your truth. And we just thank you for everyone that's here, anyone that's here outside of your grace. We pray that today would be a day where they'll make that all-important decision to follow Christ and, and to give everything over to him. So, Lord, whatever our needs are, we know they're already met in Christ Jesus. May we recognize that truth today in a real way, for we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. Let's be honest with one another as we begin. Uh, okay to be honest? That's difficult sometimes, isn't it? 
Yeah. See, you can't even get a response to that. I said, that's difficult sometimes, isn't it? And I don't know what you want to be honest about, but I'll be honest if I feel like it. So let's just be honest with each other today, okay? okay. Have you ever been really upset? Yeah. Now, some of you yeah. have an R. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been really frustrated? Yeah. Have you ever been exasperated? Yeah. Wow. Have you ever been angry? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this message is for you two. All right. <laughs> Let's step it up the ladder. Have you ever been full of rage? Have you ever been hurt in an angry way? Hmm. Have you ever been, Christians love this phrase, righteously indignant? <laughs> now I've got you on my side. Okay, good, good. See, what I'm trying to get across here and, and kind of set the foundation for is that there are many manifestations of anger. Yeah, many. And that's why I'm calling my little, I'm going to call it mini-series, Snapshots of Rage. Part one. So you get ready already by bookmarking some really important scriptures. And I'm going to be walking you through those scriptures best I can. So hopefully you uh, have your Bible or you have your Bible app or whatever you're using there to stay with me on the scripture. There's so many things in life that can cause us to become angry. And there isn't one person who's ever lived life on this earth who hasn't had a time where he or she has been angry, truly angry about something or someone or some situation. As you know, our society today is rife with all kinds of, of angry eruptions. And I want to just say a word in defense of our society today. I don't know if it's any worse than it's ever been. Just that you hear of everything. Everybody, so every time somebody turns their head the wrong way, you know, six news stations are there to report it. But I don't know if it's any worse than it's ever been because human nature is human nature. And the fallen sinful nature is the fallen sinful nature, and it's been that way since the Garden of Eden, right? Right. Almost every day, though, we hear news stories about anger and violence that came out of that anger. I'm getting a little tired of hearing it, but I know we're going to keep hearing it. Whether it's on the highway or in the grocery store or at Disneyland. Oh, some heads came up. How many saw that story this week? Wasn't that sweet? Oh, good family time there. Uh, or in the workplace, or in politics, that never happens, or in schools, or in churches, or in the sports arenas. We see outbursts of, of, of unbridled anger when we see it far too often. Now I want to just say this about one of our favorite characters in the Old Testament, that man Moses. He's quite an example of a lot of things, and you're going to find this morning that he's an example of some stuff you didn't realize. First off, though, I need to tell you the story of the, of the young girl who was at home doing homework one night. She was actually writing a paper for school. And uh, in the midst of writing it, she stopped, and she went over to where her dad was, she, and she said, Daddy, what is the difference between anger and exasperation? That's a good question. It really is. Well, the father said, really, honey, it's, it's a matter of degree. Let me show you what I mean. And with that, he put his uh, phone on speakerphone, and he dialed a number at random and t 
to the man who answered the phone, the father said, Hello, is Melvin there? The man said, There's no one living here named Melvin, and he hung up abruptly, as you probably would or I would. See, the father said, That man was likely a little unhappy with our call. He was probably very busy with something, and our call annoyed him. Now watch. Father dialed the same number again. Same man answered. Father said, Hello, is Melvin there? Now look here came the heated reply. You just called this number a couple minutes ago and I told you there's no Melvin here. And the receiver was slammed down hard. Father turned to his daughter and said, you see that was anger. Now I'll show you what exasperation means. He dialed the same number a third time. And an angry voice roared, hello? And the father very calmly said, hello? This is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? <laughs> Anger is a God-given emotion. I want to get that in the, in the minutes. Say, well, anger comes right out of the pit, and the, the devil is the author of this, and he's the one that keeps me angry, and I was just born with a bad attitude, and it's gotten worse since. Anger is a God-given emotion, along with all the other emotions, that was given to us for our well-being and good health. Even Jesus himself said, be angry, but sin not. See, the, the, that balance that Pastor Todd was talking about last week. But Satan has taken this emotion and twisted it. And we've become conditioned by what we see now in our homes, in our schools, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our society, uh, to let our anger go out of control and become destructive in every kind of way possible. We've gone from what we used to call the short fuse now to virtually no fuse. It's just something goes wrong, something you don't like, boom. Off comes the top. Psychologists and psychiatrists have done a lot of in-depth study of anger. And while they've come up with no guaranteed answers, and here's why, and they never will, there is no ultimate answer outside of God himself. They've helped us, though, and they are helping us to analyze the emotional dynamics of anger. And they tell us this, and I want to take from their notes uh, and insert in our message today so that, so that we can make this a coherent study. They tell us that anger rises along five stages, and each stage more intense than the last. And if you're note-taking, this is a good little outline to get. We're told by the specialists and by the experts that anger begins with mild irritation. That, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a traffic jam that's getting cut off in traffic. Or that's a car, your car, full of noisy children. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it for the children, yeah. And then mild irritation begins to build and it leads to indignation. Now, indignation is a far deeper sense or level of intensity altogether. You've left now mild irritation, and you're on the way to something great. The third level is wrath, which psychologists say never goes unexpressed. You get to this third level, you are going to express it. 
some way, somehow, sometime. Uh-oh. And then wrath becomes, I think wrath and this next one are very close. Wrath becomes fury. And that is where violence is usually introduced, sad to say. If it isn't introduced physically, it's introduced mentally, emotionally, it's thought about at least. And then the fifth stage, I said there were five, is rage. And that's the most intense of all the angry uh, expressions. We're told that rage is the most dangerous form of anger. It's what I call letting it get to the point where the top is about to blow off. I have my own term for it. It's called simmering rage. I brought along an object lesson today, and I think you can remember it if you don't remember anything else that I tell you. I have two bottles here, two containers, and this one, very clearly, didn't, I didn't label it because most anybody in their right mind would say, that is, and that's what it is, exactly, H2O. But this one, you can probably read the label, this isn't water exactly, this is carbonated drink, and it's called? Coca-Cola, okay? Look, you can agitate this bo bottle right here until after breakfast tomorrow, and that top will never pop. Matter of fact, you can keep agitating it for the rest of your life, and guess what? It'll never pop. Let's see what happens to this one if I do the same thing. <laughs> and see where I point it. Now, what's going to happen if I loosen that even a little bit? You would get it. Then if I take it off altogether, what happens? Quite a few people are going to get it, and I'm going to get it. See what I'm saying? It's going to injure, it's going to involve you, it's going to involve people around you, it's going to mess up the environment, it's never going to be the same, you can't put it back in the bottle, you can't undo it. You getting the point? Yeah. And if you do that long enough, it will pop off, it'll help itself to go. See the two temperaments? So you can be this temperament. And by the way, this is a choice. I am here to refute anyone who says, oh, no, well, I was just born this way. No, you weren't either. You have a choice to make. In, I don't care what age you are, what experiences you've had, how many bad things have happened to you. You have a choice. And it is your choice. And because of that, you're responsible. You say, well, I don't like drinking Coke anyway. Well, good. Then go healthy and be healthy all the way, right? I want you to keep in mind that little illustration because to me it speaks, it just speaks volumes. And I call it simmering rage. It just builds and it builds and it builds. And why is that? Because we're given this choice. Which temperament do we have? Which temperament are we going to use? How are we going to handle the situation? Are we going to get to the point where we say, yeah, I can handle it all right, Pastor, but, 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 you just, you know, you get to a point and you, yep, you get to a point and the cap's ready to blow off. And when it does, all kind of damage is done that's irreparable. It can so overcome a person, this rage, that inspires acts of brutal violence, sometimes performed without even a conscious awareness. Before we sit in judgment, anybody who struggles uh, with anger issues, and I would not do that. I just try to help people through it. I've gone through it myself, and it's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not pleasant, but it is gloriously uh, freeing and victorious uh, when you get through it and get to the other side. Take it from me. But, but 
people who struggle with this, I never minimize it because we have to sit here this morning and confess that we all have within us the very same potential for anger and for violence, no matter how awful it might be. We do. We do. Now, the only difference is the matter of control. And let me add this. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ know, we know, we don't think, we know that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and he enables us to control the anger. But there isn't some automatic button that we press so that he just, boom, takes over. We still need to learn control, don't we? We still need to learn to give it over to him. Let me repeat that. May have kind of confused you there. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ, we're we're true Christ followers, know that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who enables, that's the key, enables us to control our anger. If you're not a believing Christian today, I'm still praying for you, and I'm praying that you will come in to the fold, but I have to tell you, I have no hope to give you in this area of anger except to say, Keep trying to do your best. Walk away from that stuff that gets you angry. Try to practice self-control in all emotional matters. That's just about all I can tell you. The living Lord is the only one I know who can give us the power to overcome sin and the sinful expression of anger. It may be that even though you are a Christian, you still wrestle with controlling your angry outbursts. No hands, please. (laughs) Hmm. Think about it. Think about where you've been in the last week. Think about where you've been in the last two weeks. Think about situations in your life, let's say in the last month. Even though you're a Christian, you might still wrestle with controlling your angry outbursts. Maybe you wanted answers you couldn't get. Maybe you could get the answer, but it wasn't the one you wanted. Maybe you planned something, and every plan was just washed out. Not a chance. If this is the case, I'm sure you're going to feel guilt and shame about it, and maybe at a loss to know what to do at this point. So I want to assure you, I want to assure you this. In the love of Christ, let me tell you this. God cares, and God forgives And God wants to help you control that lack that you have. He he knows that you're not not in control. He knows that you're not calling on the Holy Spirit enough. He knows that you even frustrate yourself with this. But he loves you and he cares about you. He doesn't want you walking around in guilt and shame. We sing about that in some of our songs. And let's not just sing about it, let's live it. Christ offers hope to those of us who struggle with anger. He can help us find a healthy way to express anger. And there are healthy ways. But also, friends, we have to do our part. We have to take advantage of the resources that the Lord offers us. And if we fail to do our part, then you know what's going to happen? We'll continue to struggle. Just as our friend Moses did. Moses' life shows a pattern of anger and rage issues. Every time I read it, and it's really familiar to me. I mean, I know these stories. 
And every time I reread them, I am taken back. So let's turn our attention to Moses, our friend, for a while. Most of us don't normally think of... How many think Moses is a... I mean, and, and I've always believed, and I hope you still do, that Moses is one of our real heroes of the Old Testament. I mean, if you think of the Old Testament and somebody says, well, tell me a prominent name that you know from the Old Testament, uh, you may not know too many, but my guess is that if you only know one or two or three, Moses would be one of them. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about a friend. We don't usually think of him as a man of violent temper tantrums. But I believe this. If you go through the biblical record chronologically, as it relates to the life of Moses, it'll show that he never, ever got complete control of his anger and his temper. It's a surprising observation about Moses, but here's why I'm pointing it out, because I think it can help us. I think we can get some help in some ways that we maybe hadn't thought of before. At least two. First, on one hand, it might give us some hope that if a man like Moses, <laughs> if Moses, can I say it again? If Moses struggled with anger, then maybe I don't need to feel so, quite so badly that I've struggled with it, or maybe that I still do, or you still do, as well as Moses. And secondly, another lesson that we could learn is when we see the terrible ramifications of Moses' uncontrolled temper, it should motivate you and it should motivate me to keep working on controlling our own temper and keeping our own anger at bay. So let's do a little um, survey of Moses' life. Are you with me? I want to notice... I want you to notice the lifelong patterns of anger issues. I want you to notice this most of the time is not Moses. So don't say, hi, Moses. Now you can say, good morning, Moses. Oh, that's my lemon water. Yeah, that's somebody in between. Now you can say, good morning, Moses. Yeah, because he kind of kept it stirred up, didn't he? And we're going to show you. We're going to show you the difference in these temperaments. And we're going to show you what choices you have that you can make and what choices, thank God, in some cases Moses made and then other cases he just went from bad to worse. So we're going to do a survey, and I'm calling it Snapshots of Rage. It comes from an episode, first one. This is interesting, too. We think of children, and we think of teenagers, and we think of young uh, adults, and we think of people that are just trying to put life together and figure out the puzzle as being always, you know, never happy and always discontented and, 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 and prone to fits of rage and blah, blah, blah. Well, I want to tell you this first event came when Moses was right around 40 years old. Hmm. Yeah. In Exodus chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. And I'm going to read a lot of these verses. Some of them will be on the screen. Others will be just references, so hopefully you can follow. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Verse 12. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one... He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So about the time he's 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian slave driver beating an apparently defenseless Hebrew. The beating was unfair, it was unreasonable, it was an unjust act. Moses had every reason to believe that. 
So Moses the Hebrew steps in and quickly he becomes so indignant. He becomes so full of rage. He just couldn't control himself. And fury built up like a geyser. And Moses committed an act of murder right there just on impulse. Immediately, immediately after that incident, Moses decided to escape to the desert. Listen very carefully to my next words. For the next 40 years, okay, this happened when he was 40. For the next 40 years, he cooled his heels. He was in the school of desert self-discovery. And we figure when he comes back out of that, all's going to be well. While he learned a lot of valuable lessons, I'm sure he didn't learn how to control that temper. Here's the second snapshot. Comes from the time when he was confronting Pharaoh. How many of you remember all those meetings? Oh, wasn't that a fun series? Yeah. You see, after God sent Moses to Egypt to set the Israelites free, Moses had a lot of encounters with Pharaoh, the king, the, the, the number one head honcho. And before the final face-off prompted the death of Egypt's firstborn, wow, this thing was about ready to pop in, in, uh, in Moses' mind. And when he visited Pharaoh, this was between the ninth and the tenth plague, he became violently angry. I'd like to take the top off this and show you. But he just became violently angry with the Pharaoh, with the king of Egypt. I mean, it was unbe unbelievable. And even though the Lord had repeatedly, repeatedly told Pharaoh, uh, told Moses that Pharaoh's heart was already hardened, you aren't going to break him down. He would not let the people go. Moses still allowed himself to become beyond, I don't even know if there's a word in the English language, beyond furious with Pharaoh. If you go to Exodus chapter 11, verse 8, is that on, is on the screen? Exodus chapter 11, verse 8, reports that Moses, <laughs> these words, you ever notice these words? Moses went out from Pharaoh, or the next three words, hot with anger. Hey, we come up with all these sayings today and we think they're original. Oh, no, they're not. I'm hot under the collar. I'm just getting a little hot about this. Exodus 11, 8 says, Moses went out from Pharaoh and was hot with anger. What is that? That's rage. He's ready to tear something or someone apart. Moses' blood had reached the boiling point. You ever had your blood boiling? Oh, that just makes my blood boil. You ever said that? You ever heard it? Yeah. When you did something bad and your parents were looking you down, say, I don't, I don't like what you did. That makes my blood boil. And somebody's going to pay and it ain't going to be me. His blood was boiling. He was at the boiling point. He was ready and willing to go. He walked out of that palace in the throes of fury. He was not under control in any sense or fashion. 
But why was he so upset? God had basically laid out how all the things were going to go, and none of Pharaoh's... This is what I still don't understand. A man 80 years old, and he still doesn't get it, that God's, anything that God said was going to happen was going to happen, and Pharaoh's actions should never have been a surprise to Moses. But it seemed like everything that happened came as a big shock to Moses, and he had to really play out that emotional game. And he just couldn't get a hold of these things. It's almost as if God had said to Moses, you don't need to get mad at the big guy. All you have to do is tell him what I am going to do. Then it's his choice. Moses couldn't handle the assignment. Have you ever been in a place in life where you couldn't handle the assignment? You knew that the other person was telling you was right, but you just couldn't handle the assignment. And Moses couldn't or wouldn't, I don't know which. He was not content merely to deliver the message. He had to get angry about it. He had to get chippy about it. Sometimes, and I'm not going to make this a summary statement, but sometimes I think Moses enjoyed getting angry. It was so much a habit in his life that he didn't know what else to do. I've met people like that. They're so grumpy most of the time, I think they're enjoying really enjoying their misery. Ooh, some people are getting angry at me now. Um, here's the third, I better rush on. Here's the third snapshot of rage. And this occurred months later. Like, these things didn't all happen in one week, friends. This happened over time. You think, isn't there some change in this man? Isn't he getting it? Hasn't he learned something? Months later, the people of Israel now had left Egypt. So this is after the terrible plagues and so on. <laughs> and they'd arrived at Mount Sinai. Well, you know well as I do, Moses climbed the mountain. He received from the Lord the tablets of stone. And the tablets of stone contained the law. Meanwhile, the people that he left behind down at the base of the mountain were growing weary of waiting for Moses' return. And he promised them and assured them he was going, and he was, gonna, he was summoned there by the Lord, he was going to follow the Lord's instructions, and then he would be back with them. But they got a little antsy. And the, the Israelites began to get jumpy and jittery, and, 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 and Moses was gone, and is he coming back, and oh, we're all going to die, and... Oh, I'll tell you what we should do while he's gone. If he's not come back, let's just build a golden calf and we'll worship it. Hmm, great idea. So the people began to prance around and commit obscenities in front of their new idol. And at the very height of their revelry, Moses returns to camp. Oh, wouldn't you know it? Mom and dad are coming back. <laughs> they weren't supposed to come back till tomorrow. <laughs> The Bible says in Exodus 32, 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two ta tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. Verse 16. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God. Engraved on the tablets. 
This is some pretty important stuff right here. These, I want you to keep this in mind. This is pertinent to what I'm saying. These tablets were made by God and written by God Almighty Himself. How divinely powerful are these tablets of stone? Can you imagine even just carrying around a book written in stone that had been written by the very finger of God? Wow. So if you continue on, and I'm going to, in Exodus 32, I'll drop down to verse 19, and here it continues. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, guess what? Yeah, his anger burned. Don't do it, Moses. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. In verse 20, he took the calf. This is interesting. Careful what you worship. He took the calf they'd made and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. There's another verse in the Bible we often quote, but we misquote. Be sure your sins will find you out. We soften that today to just say, oh, well, what goes around comes around. That's such a dumb statement. I'm standing here before you. I've just read the story straight from the book of Exodus. I'm still in disbelief. I'm not standing here to say, wow, this is quite something, isn't it? I don't know if, you're, if you can grasp this. I can't. It says that Moses, he's not even down all the way off the mountain. It says that Moses' anger burned. You can write it any way you want. That's rage. What should, like you say, well, Bob, why why shouldn't Moses have gotten angry? I I didn't say he shouldn't get angry. Absolutely, I'd have been angry too. But he he should have felt a righteous indignation. And he should have held back his response. What should be done with that kind of anger? Not what Moses did, that's for sure. That wasn't helping this, this, this problem at all. It just exacerbated everything that was happening. Moses smashed the, table, uh, the tablets of God. Uh, God had written these, this, this law on these tablets of stone, and now they're just reduced to nothing, mere pieces of stone. That was an act of out-of-control temper. May I add one thing? God was not pleased. Are we surprised? So God, sometime later, this is is unbelievable. You talk about grace. God is ready to give another copy of the law. If you've never read these or you've read them, but it's a long time ago, either listen or look this up in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, if this isn't a parent talking to a child, I, the Lord, said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, and then he had to add these three words, which you broke. 
Do you think Moses knew that he broke the tablets? Yeah, I do too. Do you think he had to be reminded that he broke the tablets? No, I don't either. And God said, you just, you just carve out some stone. I'll rewrite those words uh, because we don't have the other tablet. That's the one you broke. You ever notice this stuff? It keeps reminding you of just how dumb you've been in reaction or in response to something that's supposed to irritate you? You say, why did I do that? In other words, God said, this time you're going to make the tablets because you broke the first set that I made. <laughs> Let's go to the fourth snapshot. And now we're fast-forwarding many years I mean, Moses has really got some age on him now. And the people of Israel are again on the edge of the land of Canaan. And when they'd been at this same border four decades earlier, and they were not allowed to go in, why? Because of their unbelief. You can't go forward with God at any point in time if you don't believe. Unbelief won't take you anywhere. And unbelief didn't take the Israelites anywhere. And they're right on the edge of the land of Canaan. They've been here before. Now that the old generation, though, has died off, I would think by now, God was about to give the younger generation the opportunity to enter the promised land. So it's a new day for Israel. Unfortunately, your friend and mine, Moses, had been forced to wander with the Israelites now for these 40 extra years and he'd been listening to them complain and mumble and grumble and gripe every step of the way, every day for 40 years. By the time we get over to Numbers, remember I said uh, bookmark Numbers chapter 20? By the time we get over there and that rolls around, Moses had had it, guess what? Up to here with those people. No, not up to here. Not up to here, up to here. He was ready to explode. He was ready to say, let's see back there how far this will shoot. No. Yeah. 40 years, every day, Grumble, complain. Complain, grumble. Grumble, grumble. Mumble, grumble. Criticize, bicker. Grumble, mumble. 40 years. Well, he'd had it. Familiar scene. And then the Bible says in Numbers chapter 20, if we go down to verse 1, I'm in Numbers 20, I'm going to be there a while now. In the first verse it says, In the first month the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, died and was buried. Verse 2, Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Of course it's their fault. Isn't this a familiar scene? I'll just throw a little something in here. <laughs> Having been there, I have moral authority to say this. Everything that goes wrong in the state of Maine can't be pinned on the people who spend their time in Augusta. 
Everything that goes wrong in the United States of America cannot be pinned on the 535 people who have offices on Capitol Hill in Washington. There has to be a time where the people themselves get responsible, get educated, learn up, figure out what's going on instead of, yeah, what do they do now? Oh, that's what they're going. They're going to get the damn And we've got all the grumbling points, but we're still uneducated. Folks, I challenge you. I challenge you. That's my little side time. That's fine. I need to take a break anyway. In the first month the whole Israelite community arrived, there was no water, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 3. They quarreled with Moses, like he owned all the water on earth or something, and said, if only we died, he's probably thinking, that wouldn't have been a bad idea. When our brothers fell dead before the Lord, verse 4, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this awful place? It has no grain or figs. It has no grapevines or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink, man. Same tired old refrain. There's their lights. We're still moaning, still groaning, still griping, still complaining, right on their game. Moses had heard this same thing a thousand times. What the people didn't realize and what Moses, I think Moses himself may not have realized was that they were about to push their leader over the edge. Look at verse 6 of Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting. That's where the, Moses met God. And they fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Must have been a traumatic and wonderful moment. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff. You and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. I want to ask you here right now, if you, even if you don't know the story, just what I read, what could be more clear? Nothing ambiguous in that whole instruction. Not a thing. Take the rod or the staff, go to the rock, speak to the rock, water will flow. Even a dummy like me can figure that. That's not tough. Take the staff, go to the rock, speak to the rock, the water will flow for two million people to drink. I mean, what's tough about that? I'll tell you what's tough about it. Moses is still red hot with simmering rage. He can't get over these people. They're still at it. They're still complaining. They're still blaming him. It's still all his fault. Man, that thing's going to blow any minute. Hmm. And he'd had it up to here with the people. Fed right up to the gills. So Moses takes the rod or the staff, as the, the Lord told him to. And he went out to the rock, as the Lord t commanded. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there was a slight deviation. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence 
just as he commanded him, verse 10. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, I love Moses, but there's times you want to say, buddy, this is no time for preaching. These people are dying of thirst. And Moses said to the people, listen, you rebels. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, he is so full of rage now. To a casual observer, it's funny. It wasn't to him, and it really isn't, because it's a picture of our own human nature. You and I have probably both been here. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Now, wait a minute. I, I think we missed something. Where was Moses told to give the people a scathing address? Preach them a darn good sermon, and you don't let them go either. I don't remember hearing that. Where'd that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from Moses' simmering rage. He was just absolutely seething with anger. He just couldn't control himself. He had to say something. He had the whole congregation there, and he had their rapt attention, and they thought something great was going to happen, and so he preached them that little mini-sermon, brimming with hostility, preaching an angry sermon. And did you notice Moses, Moses even stepped... Did you notice this? Moses even stepped into the realm of blasphemy. Yeah, he pointed to Aaron and he said, so what, do we have to bring water out of this rock for you? Do Moses and Aaron have to bring water out of the rock? They have no power to bring water out of anything. Isn't God the one who summons the water? And isn't God the one who provides the miracle? And isn't God the one who gave the command? And isn't the God the one who's always in control? And look at verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock. No, he didn't either. He struck the rock twice. Man, how could you get mixed up on such simple instructions? Nobody said to strike anything. And he strikes the rock, do you see it? Twice with his staff. And water gushed out. I'm surprised it didn't suck him in and drown him right there. That's why I'm not God. And the community and their livestock drank. God had told Moses to speak to the rock. What did he do? He struck the rock. Not once, twice. Moses belted that old rock. I can just see him now. Wow, man, he was taking it out on that rock. Pitch me another strike and I'll knock it out of here. Wham, another one on there. Oh, man, was he enraged. Was he enraged. He hit that thing and water came out. I'm surprised blood didn't come out of it. Don't think for a moment God overlooked all this or excused this behavior. God does not excuse my temper tantrum. God does not excuse your temper tantrum. God did not excuse Moses' temper tantrum. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's what it says in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. These are some of the saddest words in the Bible. You will not bring this community into the land I give them waiting all those years. And as I read those words, I'm tempted to think, I don't know. 
Isn't that punishment a little harsh? I mean, all Moses did was hit a rock, and who wouldn't have been fed up with those Israelites by then? I mean, who wouldn't? Later, here's another one that really will strike you. In Deuteronomy 34, uh, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 3. I don't know if I have that one up here. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 26. We see that Moses prayed three times that this judgment might be reversed. And finally, here's what God had to say to him, and I quote, Don't pray for that again. The answer is no. Might be a lesson here for some parents in the room. When no becomes yes, no never meant anything in the first place. God had fully intended that Moses and Aaron would lead those people into the promised land. And that, that just jumps off the page at me. That God said to Moses, no, don't, stop praying. Don't, don't ask me again. You heard the answer. It's not going to change. So what do we learn about the anger of Moses? And I'm going to stop my little mini-series right about here in just a moment. But what do we learn about this this? anger thing that Moses had, the, the build-up of anger, the pity parties, the, the, the fits of rage. What do we learn from Moses about anger and rage? We're going to allude to this. Pastor Todd did last week as well, but in the next little part, the Apostle James offers some better counsel than we can receive from anybody, really, or anywhere, and we're going to look at that and read it. But he wrote this in verse 19 of James 1. Everyone should be quick to listen. Okay, you can stay with me now. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. See, you might have every reason in the world to get really angry, but your get uh, getting angry does not bring on a righteous life. And that's what God wants for you. Surely in his heart, Moses must have known this. He was a man who loved God. But if Moses must have known it, Shouldn't we all know it? What? Deep within, he must have been aware that his own raging temper could never advance the righteous cause of a holy God. I'm going to just give you some teasers for my next uh, message. So if, I'd like you to do this, number one, before we meet for the second part of this. Please read James chapter 1. We're not going to deal with it every verse, but a couple things there I want us to look at. So please read James chapter 1. And then secondly, hear me. Hear me quote from Chuck Swindoll. I love this quote. When others are expecting retaliation, offer grace instead. It'll blow their mind and bless your soul. Love that quote. And I'm going to leave you with this, which I believe is the number one all-time greatest remedy for anger and rage. In one word, I can say it. Delay. Yep. 
if you know anything about current events, what's in the news, what's happening worldwide, there was a fantastic example of that just a couple of weeks ago. And if you're not familiar with the geopolitical world, that's fine. Uh, but um, the greatest remedy for anger and rage and retaliation and that mindset is delay. So think about it. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Make sure you've got some pieces left. Because most people that sound off like that sound like they've given away their last piece. Well, they're going to hear from me, and they're going to know it, and I'll tell you. They're well, what is that exactly going to accomplish in your life? That's going to make you a righteous person? Well, that's what God wants you to be. And we'll continue, the Lord willing, next time. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, there's so much to learn, and there seems like so little time to learn it, and yet, Lord, you've shown that you're a God of grace. You've shown that you're a God of mercy. You've shown that you're a God who cares about us, and we so thank you for that. So whatever we've learned today, God, and in whatever way, whatever form or fashion it takes, would you just bring it home to us, and then, Holy Spirit, convict us and convince us of the need to listen to you and let you control and give these things over to you. And not just think we can work through them ourselves, but to let you be the controller of all these emotional issues. We thank you for that. And if there's one, even one here today, that's unsure of his or her spiritual standing before God, and today might be the day that they're drawn in to take that first step towards you, I pray that, again, the Holy Spirit will convict and convince and that salvation will be the wonderful, ultimate decision. Oh, we thank you so much for allowing us this time to share in your word and to grow in grace. In Jesus' name, amen.